Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is George Del Pret, a principal at Grant Thornton and the director of the Federal CIO Survey. George, welcome back to the program. Good morning, Jason. Great to be here. So this is, I guess, the third or fourth time that we've talked about this uh, Professional Services Council Grant Thornton effort around the, the survey federal chief information officers. It's a very interesting survey. There's always a lot to learn from it. So let me start at the beginning here. This survey is a little different than previous surveys. I think you guys uh, did some different type of questioning, if you will, of federal CIOs and other IT managers. Talk a little bit about what's different this year than last year. There are a couple differences. The, the first difference is we were going through a presidential transition. We didn't have that in uh, the, the previous ones that we've talked about. And I think when that's occurring, there's always going to be you know, challenges in, in getting folks to sit down and uh, to do the in-person interviews because there are a lot of slots, frankly, that are open. We found that 13 of the 27 slots in federal CIO positions were, were open at the time that we conducted this survey just as of September. So there, there weren't folks around. So what we thought we'd do differently this year was to also conduct an online survey of uh, really IT practitioners in the federal government. And so we, we administered that uh, over the course of April through July of this year and did an interesting contrast of the results between the in-person interviews in the online surveys. We had over 313 respondents in the online survey uh, as compared to 23 folks that participated in the in-person survey. So I think it would it gave us um, you know a great way to compare those results across one another and just see whether the the priorities were in alignment between the CIOs and the folks that are actually doing a lot of the heavy lifting as it relates to federal IT. Now we do an online survey as well and it seems to me that when you get an online survey, you get much more candid responses. In person, people are much more guarded. Even if you tell them, well, no, we'll make you anonymous. We're not going to quote you directly. People still have their guard up. Did you find that, that the online survey results, maybe people were a little more candid? We did, absolutely. In a number of the questions that we asked, we got very frank responses. And a lot of the folks just, just didn't know. They didn't know whether the there was an increase in the volume of cyber threats to their agency. And uh, I, I think they, they also, in a couple of cases, saw the priorities, that the technology priorities of the agency a little bit differently than the CIO did. And I'll give you a couple of examples. One was 75% uh, of the CIOs that we talked to said DevOps was a priority. And that number was, was much, much lower. In the online responses, 28% of those respondents felt that that DevOps was a priority for the agency. Another area where we saw a contrast was the percentage of projects in agencies that are using Agile over CIOs said that more than half, the majority, more than half of their projects were using Agile, and the online respondents felt that less than half of their uh, IT projects were using Agile. So some interesting results that we saw there. And I think part of it is because when you're talking to the IT practitioners, you're including in that anyone who maybe is in that, we'll call the 2210 series. So someone who could be doing systems administrator work, someone who could be doing IT project management. Do I have that right? And while CIOs are just at that CIO, deputy CIO type level. Absolutely, yeah. The, the, the in-person surveys were, were executives, uh, CIOs or deputy CIOs. And the online survey was administered to, to the folks that you described. And it didn't even necessarily have to be someone in that 2210 series 
We looked at the demographics for the most part it was, but there were a few contractors in there, and they really covered the wide variety of jobs within you know, the IT space uh, in federal agencies. Well, let's jump into those results. Fascinating results. We'll have a link to it on federalnewsradio.com to make it easy for people to find. But let's go through some things that stood out to you. Any surprises, anything that you you know expected? Let's start with cybersecurity, their biggest priority, of course. But tell, tell us about the, some of the survey results. Cybersecurity has been um, you know the number one priority for CIOs. It was also a number one priority for, uh, for the respondents in the online survey again this year. Uh, the majority of respondents did see an increase in cybersecurity threats. You know, what was interesting is we asked them to list the the threats that they were seeing in the agencies and then to rank them in order. And um, in order, vulnerabilities from aging applications was cited as the number one cybersecurity challenge facing agencies, followed by human error, malware, phishing, internet attacks insider threat, cybercrime, ransomware, and then supply chain technology security. So really a wide variety of things were cited in the survey this year. So it's some interesting results there. I think as we, you know, talk to the CIOs and ask them, what are you doing about this, what's new and different this year? I think really a a renewed emphasis, and it seemed like some improved results as it relates to cybersecurity awareness training. And many felt that the agency was a little bit more effective at identifying and mitigating cyber risk today than they were a year ago, uh, largely as a result of the dialogue that they have around cybersecurity and the training. In a couple agencies, I mean, you can't log onto your computer unless you answer cybersecurity awareness questions. And in others, there are, you know, phishing campaigns that are run from inside the agency to try to get uh, someone to, you know, to click on a link for free Redskins tickets. And if you do, you know, uh, it, it pops up and says you're hacked. And then you have to go through additional awareness training. So I think that there's definitely been a number of improvements there uh, around cybersecurity awareness that seem to be translating into improved security posture in the agencies. And let's look at that because one of the things that stood out to me as well when you look at the survey is the fact that they put vulnerabilities for aging applications and technologies as their number one concern, and then human error second. And I thought that was fascinating, not these phishing campaigns, not the DDoS attacks, not the insider threat. Uh, why do you think that the vulnerabilities from aging apps and technologies is really was their number one area? Is it just relates back to all this discussion, pressure, focus on IT modernization, or is there another reason? I think there's a direct connection to IT modernization issues. There, I mean, the fact is, and this dialogue's been going on for a couple of years now, there are aging systems with lots of vulnerability issues, and those create holes that allow bad actors to get into applications. And, and that's really the primary issue. So, so there's more of a focus and awareness on that right now, and also activities to, to work on resolving those. As it relates to human error, you know, I can, you can really sort of lump in phishing, or if you get phished, or you get malware gets onto your system, it's connected to a human error-related issue. And that has been something that has been a challenge in all agencies. I think all of us see, uh, you know, phishing attacks every day, and some of them are very, very good. It's hard not to click on those links. A lot of them uh, use social engineering, and you're, they're looking at uh, creative ways and the interests of the individuals that they're going after, and it's hard to, to not click on those things. So human error is always going to be a challenging area, but through the awareness training, it, it seems to have gotten better. And I think the, also with all the breaches that have happened, 
happened, whether, you know, you go back to 2015 with the you know, Office of Personnel Management breach or all the breaches that we've seen most recently, Equifax, people are more aware of what's going on. You know, your grandmother, my mother, whoever, you know what I mean? Like they get that something is happening in cybersecurity and, and they're a little bit more cautious. I think that's starting to play out. But at the same time, as you said, it's also getting more sophisticated. And I'm wondering, did CIOs talk about that sophistication of the attacks at all? Did you guys ask them a little bit about whether they're seeing a new type of spear phishing or, or other types of attacks that are really focused on the people? The one thing that did come out in that area, not related to uh, spear phishing necessarily, but the use of social media and attacks coming in through various types of social media seemed to be an area that was newer and they were seeing more attacks from social media. So that was definitely an area that uh, that came out in the survey. And the other piece of the cyber that I want to touch about a little bit is they didn't really go into, if you will, some of the, the reasons why things are better, right? So they're still seeing the same number of attacks. I thought a couple of the comments about, hey, older systems actually may be more secure. When was the last time you heard someone have a mainframe getting hacked. I thought that was a really interesting comment about why maybe IT modernization is also slowing down a little bit or not going maybe as fast as one would hope. I think there are different perspectives on that. You know, that was definitely shared by one CIO. Another said legacy doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Some legacy works pretty effectively. And for the reasons you just mentioned, you know, mainframes, you know, can be secure. But I think you have to look at how a lot of the, um, the the systems are architected and stitched together and, you know, where the holes are within those systems. And when you look at legacy, that's that's really where there are a lot of challenges. They're not all those legacy systems are not all on secure mainframes and adequately protected, and they don't have all the patches in place, and there are vulnerabilities in the code. So there's lots of, uh, I think, challenging issues that uh, – you know, make the need to modernize older systems extremely important. I think one of the reasons why the legacy IT modernization has not moved forward, at least we heard from CIOs in the surveys, is the the, the budgetary challenges related to that. You remember last year we were talking about, you know, seeding a $3 billion fund through the MGT Act, and it didn't happen. Even then, CIOs felt like the $3 billion wouldn't be enough. Um, it looks like there's some movement on that bill right now and potential passage to create working capital funds for agencies to be able to retain some of their money for investment in IT modernization. But most CIOs felt like there wasn't enough resources there to get started on a lot of these uh, IT modernization efforts. So that's an area that I think is going to be a continual challenge and something that needs to be talked about. George, we talked a little bit about the cybersecurity results. Other results that stood out to you throughout the survey? One of the results that uh, was, you know, promising to see was the improvements in cloud adoption. We've talked about cloud for a number of years in the surveys, and I think that uh, you know, we saw uh, CIOs, uh, we asked them to basically rate their level of maturity with cloud adoption. Last year, 5% of the CIOs that we talked to said they felt like they were, they were very mature with result to cloud adoption. This year, that number increased almost fourfold to 19%. So that the dialogue around cloud, I think, has definitely translated, over the last couple of years, has translated into improved results with cloud adoption. Another thing that was interesting as it related to cloud in the online survey, a number of folks 
We're not sure whether cloud would result in cost savings for their agencies. So still, I think the jury's out there as to whether or not cloud is going to be a cheaper way to host infrastructure and provide platforms for those kinds of things. So so those two things, the cloud, I think, really jumped out. Another I, I alluded to earlier was agile adoption continues to be something that is used extensively within agencies, although a little bit of a difference of perspective between the CIOs and the online service, between you know, the percentage of projects that actually use Agile. But in that, as we, as we talk about Agile, although it's being used and effective and resulting in a number of benefits, better management of change priorities, increased software quality, and faster time to delivery, uh, among the things that we learned about, uh, CIOs still need more Agile practitioners. And there are continue to be cultural challenges obtaining buy-in from uh, a lot of the customers that they're working with to help design Agile solutions. So those things uh, stood out to us. All right, George, you brought up a hot topic, the workforce. We're going to talk about that, but we're going to take a break first. When we come back, we will jump into a theme I found very interesting that cut across all the survey results. But we're going to take a quick break. My guest today is George Del Pret, a principal of Grant Thornton and the director of the Federal CIO Survey. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is George L. Pret, the principal at Grant Thornton and the director of the Federal CIO Survey for the Professional Services Council and Grant Thornton. Before break, we were talking about some of the results of the survey. We were just about to talk about workforce, but before I do that, just give me a little bit of background about the survey. You guys have been doing this for for a number of years, and you mentioned number of respondents. Uh, Give me some of the breakdowns and, and give me some of the specifics of who was surveyed. This is the 27th year that Grant Thornton has been conducting a federal CIO survey. We've done it with PSC, as you mentioned, for the last few years. We typically interview top IT officials, oversight groups, and congressional staff from a number of different agencies. And and as you mentioned before, this year we added an online survey in order to gain a broader perspective. Uh, We conducted our interviews April through July of this year, and we had a number of in-person interviews uh, representing 17 different agencies. Those staff were primarily uh, CIOs and deputy CIOs. And then in our online survey, we had participation from 29 different agencies uh, representing over 313 respondents. We also look at the uh, the tenure of the staff there. It was interesting. Contrast is in the CIO realm, 65% of the respondents had been in their role three years or less, Whereas in the online survey, more than 60% of the, the respondents had been in their role for over seven years. So a little bit of an uh, interesting contrast there. It's interesting that the three years or less in the CIO world, uh, there's been a lot of turnover recently. And a lot of the CIOs you probably talked with actually probably have either left or moved jobs or, or have new positions. And I think that part of that comes in with a different style of thinking. I think that's you know maybe why the the difference between the online survey and the live interview survey were, were so different in, in, in some cases is the viewpoint they're bringing. I mean, some some people maybe who have been in government for a long time are, are see, don't see change happen that quickly, and other people who have been in government a shorter amount of time maybe see change happen more quickly. I mean, do, do you get a sense that that was part of the difference? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, the CIOs are really change agents in their agency, and a lot of them are there to, to, to try to quickly make a difference with the limited budget and resources that they have. And I think with the, you know, the change in administration that we have here and, and a lot of those open positions, 
there's some waiting in the top levels to figure out what the priorities are and what the direction will be of the new administration as it relates to IT modernization and IT policies. And I think a lot of the, the, the folks in the online staff are, are sort of waiting to figure out what those priorities are going to look like. And that definitely impacts uh, the ability to move forward on a lot of the IT initiatives and I think results in a lot of the responses that we got, the, the frank candid responses about the things that need to change in federal technology. And I think that's a great segue to what we left off with that last segment initially was around workforce. And one of the things that I found most interesting about the survey is each of the topics, whether it's cyber, IT modernization, or agile, or cloud, all went back to the one common theme, which was, do we have the skill sets in our workforce to meet the goals that we're trying to get to? Whether, again, do we have enough people who understand agile? Do we have enough people who understand DevOps? Talk a little bit about that workforce and how that kind of cut through each of those sections. Workforce is an issue that's discussed every year as a top priority for CIOs. I mean, since I've been doing the survey for the last six years, workforce has been a top three issue. And I think that all CIOs will tell you they have an extremely dedicated workforce and they have some great people with a lot of the skills that they need to continue to move forward in implementing their technology priorities. They need more good people. And it's harder for them to recruit and retain those people than in a lot of the private sector. You know, they're losing them to the private sector and losing them to other agencies. Uh, an example is in, in the cyber area. You know, a number of CIOs said that, you know, the skills that we really need, we need good cyber people, and we can't afford to bring them in to our agencies. Or if we bring them in and we train them, we can't afford to keep them because they're leaving for other agencies to go to higher grade positions or they're leaving for the private sector. One CIO, you know, gave us a quote, we have a special hiring authority allowing us to pay a 25% pay bump for cyber staff, but it isn't high enough. It gets us, you know, what he referred to as B and C level talent, not the A team that they really need to improve their security posture. And I think that's just an example of the kinds of uh, challenges that CIOs are experiencing as it relates to getting the right people in uh, to help them uh, implement their technology mission. And I think that quote was really dead on that even with uh, ability to pay more, it's still not enough compared to what the private sector can pay. Do CIOs, or did you get a sense that there was an answer to this? Is it just better pay, or is there something else that has to get done? Did, did CIOs talk about what the other solution could be? I think there are a lot of in interesting ideas about what could be done. You know, there's a, there's a job fair that OPM and OMB are working on, uh, bringing in some of the best and brightest for cyber for, for all agencies to benefit from in November. Congressman Hurd spoke uh, earlier this week at the event where we rolled out the survey, and he talked about a uh, you know cyber boot camp in the workforce where, where folks would come in and basically join the cyber ranks of the government and get their education paid for. Another CIO talked about the creation of uh, you know a cyber pay scale between GS-15 and SES with GS-15 and SES level compensation to sort of attract top cyber level time. So there's a lot of great ideas out there. I think it's just a matter of continuing to pilot and implement them so that um, there can be more effective methods for uh, the technology leadership to bring in the kinds of uh, staff that they need to help them. One of the things I thought about you know, Congressman Hurd, who is obviously the author of the Modernizing Government Technology Act that you mentioned earlier that's working its way through uh, Congress now, is 
the Cyber Reserve Corps, and you're right, if he gave more details about that than he had ever before, where if you, let's say, get four years of college paid for by the government, you, you come in and do four years in the government and not at NSA or not at DHS, but at Commerce or Social Security or Interior, you know, some of those agencies that, that have a harder, even a harder time to get cyber people versus some of the well-known agencies. The challenge there is, and I think, is, is there even enough people taking cybersecurity courses that could take advantage of that, meaning someone like Grant Thornton hires cyber people, someone like Booz Allen Hamilton hires cyber people, and someone like Boeing and Lockheed, and, and you can't probably name a company that doesn't hire or want to hire cyber. Is the pipeline even filled enough? I, that's the one question that kind of stood out to me from uh, Congressman Hurd's uh, proposal. Yeah, that's a great observation, Jason. We didn't specifically ask that question this year, but I know last year there was really a substantial shortfall of the number of cyber positions. And I can't remember the statistic exactly, but I think it was something like there were 40,000 unfilled cyber positions throughout the country. And there was just, you looked at all the folks going through CISSP training, and it was nowhere near that number. So there was a huge shortfall in the pipeline of people that are available to move into cyber roles. And that's something that I think that the federal government could be a leader in, is working on starting cyber education at the, the early ranks so that the pipeline is more full than it is right now with qualified staff that can fill these uh, these gaps. And, and I think that's something that I think Congressman Hurd has recognized is that these gaps are big and, and it's, they're harder to fill. The, the other thing that, that stood out from the survey regarding the workforce is the skill sets around Agile and DevOps. And I want to get into Agile and DevOps in a little bit, but let's start with the workforce discussion. Again, another place where the skill sets are needed, the supply is short and the demand is high. Talk a little bit about what you've heard from CIOs around Agile, DevOps, and the skill sets needed there. Agile and DevOps are two other areas where CIOs you know, have some skills, but uh, there needs to be uh, additional folks with, with the skills um, in, their, in their workforces. You know, agile coaching, agile architecture were a couple things that jumped out. Even even you know, in the DevOps area, you know, a lot of folks don't really have the expertise that CIOs are looking for in the DevOps area in order to effectively implement DevOps. They are working on implementing training efforts in both areas. You know, I've talked with a number of CIOs just about the efforts that they are putting forth around providing Agile and DevOps certifications and training in agencies, and that's that's grown uh, significantly over the course of the last couple of years since we've been having this dialogue. DevOps is relatively new, but Agile, we've been talking about that for the last few years. So I think there are some training efforts underway. There are also uh, targeted recruiting efforts underway there that uh, should improve this. So I would hope that in the next the next time we conduct our survey, that there has been the CIOs are able to uh, reduce the number of uh, open roles they have for agile practitioners and practitioners with DevOps expertise. George, we talked a lot about agile earlier on and agile workforce, but let's talk about some of those results. One of the things that stood out to me as was uh, as I looked over the survey is the acceptance of agile. Well, you guys asked what percentage of your IT development projects are utilizing agile methodologies, and. Uh, 43% said at least 20% of their projects. And if you go uh, even farther, at least 50% said 21 to 75%. And if you really bring it all together, more than 50%, almost 60% said uh, 21 to 76%. So there seems to be a lot of this big push for Agile seems to be paying off. It absolutely is. This has been, um, you know, a very promising initiative that's uh, bearing fruit over the last few years. I mean, the move to Agile is 
has allowed a lot of agencies to develop software more quickly with less risk and to to stop projects that aren't moving in the right direction. And that's been very promising for agencies. We've definitely seen an uptick in the number of agencies that are using Agile with some very positive results. And the one thing that I thought was interesting in the survey is we asked about you know what's still challenging as it relates to using Agile. I alluded to the, the culture change issue earlier, and it's trying to, you know, the IT practitioners designing and developing the software, trying to get them engaged with the practitioners that know the business processes is still an area that I think uh, could use some improvement. It's a bit of a cultural change to, to build things in that way. I mean, some of the uh, you know the practitioners in the mission areas um, aren't always fully engaged, although it's gotten better over the last couple of years. So, so that was one thing that stood out. Another thing that stood out, you know, a lot of times uh, Agile gets criticized because it's hard to measure when something is effectively done. And there are a lot of questions around how you measure the effectiveness of Agile delivery. And we asked CIOs that question, how they measure the effectiveness of Agile, and I think that there were a lot of interesting results. Nearly half of the online respondents didn't think their agency did an accurate job of measuring the effectiveness of Agile projects. And that's something that we've observed, uh, too. I think having a good framework to measure the effectiveness of Agile is important, and it seems like there are a variety of ways that that's being done right now and, and an area that could, could potentially use some improvements. And I think that's one of the things that I think GSA, OMB, and others are really trying to work toward is how to measure the effectiveness because with Agile, it's such a big culture shift to understand, well, we're not just going to say we're going to do A, B, and C. We're going to do, you know, a lot of times it's I'm going to do A, and then maybe I'll do B, but I may end up doing C or even F. And I think that mindset is the hardest change. I mean, are you, is that part of what you're seeing is, is why you think that's part of the reason why that measuring of effectiveness is still difficult? I do. I do. And it's also, you know, you're getting into the development without having the metrics um, and that definition of success established at the outset and then being able to communicate, uh, you know, that effectively up to the right levels of executive leadership. Uh, so we're definitely uh, seeing that. The other piece of this Agile is you guys actually broke out Agile and DevOps. And now a lot of people use them, and including myself, as synonyms. Uh, obviously, you guys made a conscious decision about why, but t talk a little bit about that decision. Well, I think DevOps is you know, sort of going beyond Agile. And Agile is the software development piece of that. And then the operational piece is once the software is ready, it's getting it through all your operational processes to, to bring it into production. And so there are a lot of different processes in agencies that ready software needs to go through to get checked out and make sure it's effectively ready uh, to be launched and then used. And so I think there's a, you know, DevOps is considered a, related to but different than Agile. So we wanted to break it out separately and really get perspectives on that to figure out how it's working in agencies and what sort of improvements it has resulted in. It was interesting that two-thirds of the organizations that we surveyed have adopted DevOps in some part of their structure, and it, uh, that it's, you know, I think there's more to be done here, but so far agencies feel like it can yield a lot of potential benefits and improvements so that 
software can be produced more effectively uh, to benefit the users. One of the things about that, too, is the cybersecurity piece, and we can tag back that around, is when you do DevOps, you can also get uh, deal with the security challenges much more quickly. And in many ways, what I think DevOps has shown is less less costly and in a much better way. Did security come up as it relates to DevOps? It did. It did. We definitely talked about the importance of building security into the process throughout the entire development cycle, and that really results in better, more secure uh, applications. And so I think that um, CIOs uh, were very supportive of that, and um, it, it's definitely something that I think we're observing right now and will continue to uh, even get better at. All right, George, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we can uh, talk a little bit more about the survey and some takeaways. My guest is George Del Pret, a principal of Grant Thornton and the director of the Federal CIO Survey for the Professional Services Council and Grant Thornton. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is George Del Pret, a principal at Grant Thornton and the director of the Federal Chief Information Officer Survey with the Professional Services Council and Grant Thornton. George, we spent a lot of time looking at results and really delving into the, the details of what the CIOs are saying. One question I think that we still need to kind of answer here is what's the big takeaways? If I'm an agency, if I'm a federal CIO, if I'm a deputy CIO, what should I learn from the survey? And then I'm going to ask you that same question around vendors. So start with the federal uh, agency takeaways. I think the key takeaways, they're, they're two. The budgetary situation for CIOs continues to be a challenge and is really preventing them from being able to effectively modernize a lot of their legacy systems. Um, so that's something that needs to be addressed. The second thing is uh, the people and culture issues. While there are a lot of great technology staff, CIOs continue to have difficulty recruiting and retaining staff in different agencies. And I think as a community, we need to come up with more creative ideas to find ways to navigate through that and get better people to help with the right kinds of skills that are needed to effectively you know, run and implement our technology in the federal government. And one thing about those two issues is that there doesn't seem to be easy answers. And I think you pointed out there were several ideas, some potential pilots maybe. And the budget one is that's the MGT Act. Can, can working capital funds really take advantage? It seems to me, though, CIOs aren't quite sold on at least the budget side. They don't, they're not sure that the working capital fund idea is really going to work for them. Was there any discussion around that from your survey? I think you're, you're right on there, Jason. There was discussion around that. And while a working capital fund is nice, a lot of the agencies already have working capital funds. It's really how does that money even get into the working capital fund in the first place so that they have the kinds of uh, investment dollars they need to be able to embark on a legacy systems modernization. And there's a big chasm there between what they need to get started on these and what they have right now, working capital fund or not. So I think that's something that needs to continue to be addressed. And a lot of the agencies are experiencing, um, you know, we'll see what happens with the budget in FY18. But uh, the president's budget has called for pretty significant cuts in a lot of agencies, and that's going to affect a lot of the back office roles, specifically in the CIO. So be interesting to see what the technology budget looks like next year after you know we have some bills passed or potentially a CR. And that's something that needs to be uh, addressed. And at the same time, one of those things that you guys did talk about in the survey was FITARA and how the FITARA, the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act, 
can play a role in this IT modernization effort. I think one of the most interesting parts of the FATARA discussion was whether or not agencies are really seeing benefits from FATARA. Generally speaking, do you think that the, the CIO authorities, they, they feel like they are seeing more CIO authorities there? Did you get a sense that the CIOs feel good about FATARA? Well, I think uh, I'll just read a quote from the survey. Many CIOs surveyed this year reported minimal impact from FATARA or incomplete progress to fully realizing the law's goals. So I think the answer is is not really. Great in concept, but we really haven't seen it play out in a lot of agencies. While CIOs have more direct control of much of their agency's IT spending, they still don't have control over everything. And there's a lot of what we call shadow IT out there spending. And it makes it hard to, to figure out how to uh, spend limited dollars on the most effective uh, IT investments. So that just continues to be a challenge for agencies. All right, George, and then the final question of the day is around vendors. If you're, you're a vendor, you work at Grant Thornton, obviously. There's a lot of vendors who will look at this survey. What's their big takeaway? I think the big takeaways for vendors are we need to continue to come up with innovative ways to help the federal technology community and uh, be able to implement technology changes more quickly and more effectively with more innovative tools. And we're going to continue to see increased adoption with uh, with cloud and DevOps, so there's lots of opportunities there. And then in the cybersecurity area, we'll continue to see a need for better cybersecurity tools and cybersecurity analytics practitioners to help the federal government protect the assets that we do have. So I think those are the, the key takeaways for industry. All right, it seems like uh, those are the key takeaways from last year and the year before and the year before. Uh, it's, I guess the more things change, the more they stay the same in many ways. I, I think you're uh, you're right. We've been talking about a lot of these challenges for uh, for a long time, and I think they'll probably come up again next year. Um, but the positive thing is there there is progress being made on a lot of these issues, and a real dedicated group of technology executives and practitioners that are working to help make those improvements. All right, George, we will check in again at least next year. I really do appreciate your time. My guest has been George Del Pret, a principal at Grant Thornton and the director of the Federal CIO Survey for the Professional Services Council and Grant Thornton. I've been your host, Jason Miller. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. George, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Jason. Take care. We have to take a break. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this part of the show, we hear from Matt Lira, a special assistant to the president for innovation policy and initiatives. He works in the Office of American Innovation. Lira spoke at the Tech Trends Conference sponsored by the Professional Services Council. I can commit on behalf of the administration that we will work with all stakeholders. I know sometimes that uh, when people see, when we do outreach with Silicon Valley, it, it almost inherently grabs headlines. You know, we did a summit in June, which was very successful, with Tim Cook and all these other high-level CEOs. And we've got a lot of really strong perspective. And, of course, it was front-page news all over the world just because of the personalities involved. I can assure you, and some people are like, well, you should do things with, you know, with, whether it's in Dulles or other places with those companies. We do, and we do it all the time. It's just it doesn't necessarily get the front page of the Wall Street Journal. So I can assure you we are listening to all stakeholders, and we're excited about uh, what we can do together. And for me, success will look like making substantial progress, improving the quality of citizen services in very tangible, very human terms over the course of this administration, and ultimately handing the baton off to the next administration with a strong culture of collaboration and the structures to build that uh, modernization over a generational arc. Uh, and with that, I'd love to take uh, any questions that you have, and uh, let's get into it. Well, thank you, Matt. Those are just 
those are just spot on remarks. And I'd like to just ask a quick question if I could start it off. We have a mix of folks here from who are advocates or sophisticated or former government public sector folks and, and government attendees, and then others who are not as familiar with the policymaking side. Could you explain a bit just the, the difference or the, the, the similarity between what the American Technology Council role is, Office of American Innovation, which are both in the White House, and then how you're uh, pushing out those policies to the agencies, whether through OMB, which again is also part of the White House, or other ways. Could you just explain a little bit for folks who may not be as familiar with the, the organizational structure, if you will, or, or how, how basically the White House policy gets um, passed out, pushed out, and, put, uh, and passed down to the federal agencies and folks who will be more in the trenches working on these issues? Sure thing. So, a great question. Uh, so the Office of American Innovation has a broad portfolio, as, um, as Tim noted, <laughs> uh, and it's a very exciting, challenging place to work, and I love it. And so we're doing modernizing government. Uh, we're also doing workforce of the future, which deals with apprenticeship programs and computer science education, uh, and we have a couple other issue areas. Um, the American Technology Council is an entity we created uh, to be focused exclusively on the modernizing government silo. Uh, and as I indicated in the remarks, it, is, uh, it doesn't seek to re replicate in an operational capacity. Um, it, doesn't it doesn't seek to displace any statutory authorities that exist. Um, its primary function is to coordinate those statutory authorities uh, between different agencies. Because uh, one of the things, as I said, when we, f when we took a look at this problem uh, earlier this year was, you know, we would, inter we would talk to three different people about a problem at various agencies, and they all said they have exclusive purview over the same issue. Um, and, and they would all have a different law to point back to. Uh, so we created ATC to help coordinate those people because ultimately policy is people. So if, if people have relationships and people have trust, uh, then they have the ability uh, to coordinate. And we see that, again, those examples in the security space and in other policy areas. Um, so, uh, o, you know, OAI, if, you know, we oversee a, a broad policy portfolio on behalf of the White House. Uh, ATC is focused on coordinating uh, the various statutory authorities that exist inside the executive branch, uh, and then the agencies ultimately take their cues per FATAR and other legislation from the CIO Council and from the CIOs at the agencies who are empowered to execute that on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and that ultimately is how, uh, how that relationship works. And I should say it's highly collaborative, uh, hopefully, uh, with, with people both uh, within the federal government and also uh, you know, from the private sector as well. Aside from the Modernizing Technology Act, what do you need from Congress to accomplish these goals? MGT, uh, first of all, uh, since I didn't touch on this earlier, uh, is a tremendous success story, not only of policy, but also of process. Uh, it was a bipartisan piece of legislation that got through in a very non-controversial way, and I think is therefore going to be enacted with earnest from various stakeholders. Um, another piece of legislation, uh, that we're interested in looking at, but, I'll, I, but full disclosure, I, you know, we're still exploring what it makes sense on a, a sort of a details perspective of, you know, what are the, one, how do we help ensure that the CIOs are empowered, and, you know, and FATAR takes a lot of steps in that direction, and some of that's on the implementation side, admittedly. Um, we need to follow things like the report card and scorecard to ensure that we're actually seeing the follow-on uh, implementation of FATAR. Um, the role of uh, citizen experience as a priority is something of interest, although I, we're looking at various policy proposals in that space um, around how do we ensure that citizen experiences are prioritized. When we talk with leaders from you know, Fortune 50 companies, uh, they have varying perspectives on how to handle that, and I think it's uh, um, something we're looking at. Uh, but ultimately, I think what we really need is what I kind of call uh, a spring cleaning, which is how do we remove 
outdated policies which are holding back the ability of the private sector and the government to enact you know new technology efficiently you know it's funny because we talked to some of the companies that serve both private sector clients and public sector clients and not, the product quality isn't always consistent and you go in and you try to figure out why and it's again it's not a sense of maliciousness it's actually these out of date regulations that in many cases are holding back what these companies are capable of providing um, and so uh, that doesn't mean we give you know a blank check. I think we've got to think about what policies are smart, what policies uh, no longer make sense, and some of that will be administrative. Uh, OMB, as you may recall, has uh, Project Cruft, our uh, bureaucracy busters, which uh, you know got rid of the Y2K regs and things like that a few months ago, and that process is continuing to go right. <laughs> um, and then uh, some of that will be statutory. So from an IT modernizing government perspective, I, I you know I think that's a pretty uh, two areas of interest, but I don't, uh, from a White House perspective, we're not prepared yet to commit to a specific bill at this time. Um, but what's important, I think, regardless of what legislation we go down and ultimately support, uh, that we, as we did with MGT, work with leaders from both sides of the aisle, uh, from both chambers, to make sure that this policy is implemented uh, in a very bipartisan way. You have the administration's tech plan strategy out for comment and review to <laughs> the end of the month. It, it's a very uh, ambitious, aggressive plan with 36 elements. If you had to summarize those and say what are the tall poles in the tent or the major pillars of that that you'd like to see uh, as the president's accomplishment at the end of his, his first term, what, what would you highlight as the, the major goals? Sure. First and foremost, the, improving, the improvement of the quality of the citizen-facing experience. And I think that's not just from a marketing perspective, I think that's vitally important to restoring the public's faith in governing institutions. We ask people to believe that government can make their lives better in certain cases, but yet the actual experiences with government are wildly inconsistent with their expectations from even mid-level public, uh, private sector companies. You know, everyone starts to say, well, it's got to be as good as the top-level apps, and that would be great. But a lot of these experiences, unfortunately, aren't even as good as, you know, mid-level apps, and that drives public frustration. Um, it introduces an inefficiency, um, and it's insecure. So ensuring that we can get those, as many of those priority experiences uh, improved as fast as possible is a major goal. Building secure systems by using modern systems. Uh, we need to, a lot of the security policies that are in place today do not, were not created in a world where cloud computing is as ever present as it is now. When you look at Fortune, again, I hate to continue to look at the top enterprise multinationals, but I think that they do have some lessons to bear. Um, they leverage cloud as an opportunity to become more secure. Uh, and while that isn't true in every single case in the federal government, it is true in, in the vast majority of those cases. And so I think enabling the adoption of modern technology as a goal of improving the security of those systems is a second major tentpole. And third, as I said, and I just continue to harp on the point because I believe it is genuinely that important, uh, that, the, that these policies at the end of the, of the journey are, are, if not still bipartisan, even more bipartisan than they are today, and they're already very bipartisan, to help make sure that uh, we have a generational consensus. Because what we cannot have in this space is every four or eight years, wild shifts in objectives and, and goals. Uh, it's just not a good way to solve this problem over time. That's all the time we have for today. You just heard from Matt Lira, a special assistant to the president for innovation policy and initiatives and who works in the Office of American Innovation. Lira spoke at the Tech Trends Conference sponsored by the Professional Services Council. 
I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 a.m. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes. SMS text, 9.32 p.m. Hey, man, I'm not home yet. Grabbing a quick drink with my lady friend, LOL. But just wait for me there, dude. The spare key is under the big gray planter by the garage. Peace. When you send messages on SMS, someone else could be reading them. With end-to-end encryption, WhatsApp ensures that your personal messages are your personal messages. WhatsApp. Always message privately.